Rome is over, but here on Post Show Recaps, we're just getting started with the fall of Rome. My name is Grace, but of course I'm not alone. I'm here at TM Philly. Philly, how you doing? I'm so good. We're back. We're on our way back to Rome, Grace. Rome is falling, but we're not done. I know. And um, I hear a lot about triumvirates, so I figured, Rich, today we would bring on a guest. You've probably seen the episode title, which is What We Got Wrong About Rome, and the person who's going to tell us exactly what we got wrong and maybe what the show got wrong or very right. It's one Alex. Alex, how you doing? Good. Grace, Rich, thanks for having me. I just got back from Rome. I heard that you needed a third, and I, I flew all the way back from Europe just to, to be here to talk to you both. That's not a joke. Uh, when we were going to schedule with Alex, uh, part of this was, well, I am going to Rome. So can it wait till I come back? And we said, of course, absolutely. Uh, not a joke. Alex was in Rome, Rich. Yeah, I know. Alex is not a man to joke around about Rome. Alex and I have been talking about Rome for a couple of years. He's one of the few folks um, who I know had like a deep passion for the show before we started this project and onboarded so many new viewers, Grace. Uh, mm-hmm. But we've talked about Rome a pretty good deal. And so I'm ex- really excited to have you with us here today, Alex, to uh, correct us on our many mispronunciations and missteps <laughs> uh, as we detailed the fall of Rome. You got it. You know, it was very weird when I was uh, at the Coliseum. Every 10 minutes or so, they'd bring two people in there and they'd fight each other and then leave. (laughs) Um, This guy that looked like Caesar kept winning. I I don't think he ever lost. No, he didn't lose. He didn't lose. Um, Alex, so you reached out very early on, not just because you like the show Rome, but because you are uh, you actually did study Roman history. And so um, this is something that um, uh, you, know, you felt well equipped to chat about. But you want to just give the listeners a little bit of that history lesson, what, what you're looking to provide today? Like what 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 is your expertise related to Rome? Yeah. So, you know, um, before I was a history um, major in college. Uh, I was taking Latin from 7th through 11th grade. And when you study a dead language in high school, there's only so much you can actually study. So a lot Uh of Latin class becomes a history class. So I've been doing this since, Mm -hmm. you know, 7th grade. Um, For the Big Brother fans out there, I like to think of myself as, you know, the Taryn Armstrong of Rome. Um, You know, Grace and Rich were able to tell you what happened on the live show. uh, And I'm here to show you the live feeds, the stuff they weren't uh, able to put into the episodes. But um, hopefully give some context in that way. That's a lot of live feeds to watch. I always it's think a lot 100 of Days of Big Brother is a lot, but like th- like hundreds of years. Uh, 2,000 years of live feeds. Yeah. That's going to be next season on Big Brother. It's coming. They're going to get, they get longer season. and longer. Every yeah, they do. Yeah. You know, maybe I shouldn't call myself the Terran because I did step away from the computer from time to time. No. Uh, but for this period of time, um, you know, hopefully I can give some more context um, both before, during and after. I'm super psyched because, I mean, I talked about it a bit, but I studied Rome in high school to a degree, but I, but I studied much later Italian history. I was really, like, immersed in the Renaissance period. So a lot of my familiarity with the Roman Empire and, like, uh, this rise of the Roman Empire is really, like, distant and through this lens of, like, looking back from the kind of Renaissance. So I'm excited to have you clarify some points and just kind of talk through the series, as I know you do love it deeply. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite things, Alex, is Richard started this project uh, with the help of Josh Wiggler because there was this TikTok meme of how much you think about the Roman Empire. And, well, I guess I'll, I have more to say, but first I'm going to ask you, uh, Alex, how much do you think about the Roman Empire? Um, I, definitely multiple times a week, if not daily. Yeah. If you can see in the corner of my screen, I actually have a, a picture on the wall that's the um, Roman Empire redesigned as the New York subway map. And, you know, long before this podcast, I do want to shout out there was uh, a podcaster, Mike Duncan, who over the period of five years covered the entire history of Rome from uh, its founding to the fall of the Western Empire. 
I think it became around 170 episodes released once a week for five years. I've listened to that podcast in its entirety twice. So for a long period of time, uh, I was thinking about Rome constantly. As somebody um, that goes hard OCD, Grace, I can like fully respect this. I know you and I have talked about this a lot off air, and you're not like a chronic rewatcher. But since we have oh. completed our journey through the fall of Rome, I have found myself sucked into this world of like uh, YouTube videos about the Roman Empire, I'm watching uh-huh. how they're making Roman concrete, Alex. Like uh-huh. I'm really living in Rome like daily since we've wrapped up the series. I'm familiar with Mike Duncan because he did Revolutions as well, right? Yeah. So I think I've listened to a few of the Revolutions uh, podcasts. Yeah, Rome came first. Now, Rich, I'm right. I'm curious. You're a, you're a little bit older than I am. Um, there is a spiritual predecessor to HBO's Rome, um, another BBC show called I Claudius. Did oh, that yeah. ever come across your lap? We got recommended it. By, we uh, did so, get recommended yeah. it. It's a good deal older, right? I mean, it's a, isn't it a 70s production? It's another one of yes. these like one and done that I would have watched in the early 2000s. So I have these bits and pieces of like a Swiss cheese style memory of I, Claudius, but um, I've definitely seen it. Yeah. So I came across I, Claudius first only because we were watching it in our high school Latin class. But for a mm-hmm. lot of people who are older than us, maybe our... Uh, Gen X uh, listeners and our um, uh, Boomer listeners that um, they were probably watching I, Claudius, which actually starts mid-Augustus reign and goes uh, through the first few emperors. And that show um, features like the succession. Like now that you have an empire, now that you don't have elections, how do you pass on power? And, you know, while it's not quite as um, bloody and, uh, and sexual as maybe a 2005 HBO show was, it, that was really the spiritual predecessor that kind of, I think, showed that there was an interest for for something like an HBO Rome. So my initial question about the idea was that there was this TikTok meme about how much you think about the Roman Empire. And so then uh, Josh was like, hey, there is the TV show of Rome. It's 22 days. There's 22 weekdays in October. Should you watch it every day? And you can joke. And how often do you think about the Roman Empire? Every day. But then we start watching the show and I think you immediately point out, it's like, it's very funny. We're like, yeah, Caesar is not uh, not the emperor at this point. He's actually, he never becomes the emperor. And the we actually, by the end of the show, we don't actually see the, the Roman Empire. Um, so I think it's um, really interesting. I know, Rich, you uh, were going to chat about um, like the sort of um, what the show would have been had it like kept being renewed and, and got sort of like the full run that the, the show creators would have liked. But I just thought it was like an interesting observation that like we joked about like how much you think about the Roman empire and this show, like, I guess I want your commentary, Alex, on like, this is really about like how the, how, like how the democracy falls. And so then the mm-hmm. Roman empire can then become um, uh, a thing. And so you talk about like, it does make sense to me that like um, when you're talking about I Claudius being a show about like, how do you, uh, how does power like, you know, get passed through when there's not like, a, you know, a democracy, this show to me, the sort of thesis to me is like, yeah, how does a democracy fall, which was a very interesting thing to be watching as like, the political <laughs> landscape of the last few years, Alex. Absolutely. And what, what I think I love about this show and maybe a lot of other people love about this show is that, um, you're watching the fall of a republic and, and the beginning of an empire, but there's a moral ambiguity there that's maybe not there with either our modern history or with something like Star Wars, which I know um, we love to cover on post-show recaps. You know, the republic was not working um, for a lot of people, and the way the government was actually set up uh, in Rome was they were so afraid of kings because Rome started with kings before a republic mm-hmm. that they over-diluted power. Um 
you know, there was there was two consoles at all times. They could cancel each other out. There was offices upon offices that could um, that could basically tie each other up so that nothing would happen. Um, and uh, most of the term limits were just a single year. You know, I don't know if you've ever held like an office at a college job or something like that, but like it takes time on the job to learn what you're doing to get good at it. And by the time you've started to learn, your your term is already up and it's someone else's term because they don't want people to accumulate power. Um, so in some ways, the Republic was so um, not equipped for Rome to expand. You know, maybe it was mm-hmm. great when it was just a city. Maybe it was great when it was just um, the the Italy itself. But once you're expanding to Spain and Gaul and Egypt and North Africa and the East, it was just not working for the people. And so um, HBO Rome is one of many pieces in a time that shows different you know, heroes and villains that we'd like to talk about. In this work, you know, Caesar, I think, is kind of a hero, a flawed hero, but a hero. There's other works where Cicero's the hero and Caesar is the villain. And there's other works where um, Octavian is the hero. And it's just because this big change in time, you know, depending on who you are and whose interests um, you're serving, there's heroes and villains uh, everywhere. And I think that's what makes the show really, really interesting. And it does a good job, I think, of making you um, understand what each side is maybe fighting for. I think with the focus being on Caesar, but um, it's not a clean cut. Caesar's our hero. You know, he definitely is a power hungry man. We talked about it a lot, Grace, but this notion of like, uh, you know, the motivations for an individual to make a decision are really complex and myriad. It's not a single, you know, driving force that often drives people to do things. And I just love the, um, you know, the perpetual contradiction that we're kind of exploring in the show. We talked so much about how many of these institutions have endured across thousands of years and ultimately are like laying out the very kind of basic building blocks of the modern civilization that we're also like steeped in that we can't really imagine existing outside of this paradigm anymore, but that this is, this was like a really egalitarian progressive ahead of its time Republic that also, you know, included slavery and really disenfranchised a lot of people and considered the female population property. And there, there's so much contradiction in all of it. But um, I think that you you know, you hone in on something that it's part of the, like the eternal momentum of storytelling, the reason that we keep going back to this place and time as a setting and, and we keep going to these like great epic characters from the distant past to retell their stories and speculate about the emotional motivation that drove them to make these decisions is because these decisions have like echoed across time in a really interesting way. Um, like part of what I came across just doing like my post-Rome homework, Alex, is the notion that like Caesar is like, He's the Caesar, right? He is the guy. And certainly he's there for this paradigm shift in terms of the fall of the Republic and the shift towards an empire, this beginning of a new age in history. But it's very much a a circumstance of like, the victors write the history books, isn't it? Like, isn't there the circumstance that Pompey, his achievements prior to his fall and Caesar's rise were potentially greater than anything that Caesar had done, but Caesar had a really good PR machine and that he recorded his achievements. He recorded his like victories and his battles and his conquests in the North in such a way that he captured the hearts and minds of like the populace at the time. And those recordings have since endured for thousands 
thousands of years such that we exalt this guy. And, you know, I would imagine 99 out of 100 people would recognize the name Julius Caesar, but never have any idea what you're talking about when you say Pompey or know the volcano. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, if if Pompey was like the first uh, general to to run for office on TV, uh, Caesar was the first one to do it on social media. Like he was yeah, really right? reaching out to the people. Um, yes, I do think for to the victors go the spoils. And um, when Caesar's in power, he renames the calendar. He names a month after himself with mm -hmm. July. Um, so absolutely. To um, be fair, isn't the most famous thing about Julius Caesar though that he got stabbed and murdered? No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but he gets stabbed and murdered because he built an empire. Like the Caesar Fair thing enough. is part of his name, right? Fair enough. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to ask about the salads, but you know, I think and the girls, salad. I, just, it's yeah, I think Mean Girls made sure that everyone knows that we should totally stab Caesar. Um, <laughs> that's probably like the foundational thing that most of us know. Alex, can I? I think that the thing I'm most interested in apologies for sometimes i'll do this where uh, i might interrupt with a stupid joke but you can continue to make your point uh but uh i, mean, I guess I, mean girls joke. I know fair enough two I, leader yeah yeah, two. yeah 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 uh i think what i'm like interested to, in a place to like i mean we've been talking but a good place to like kind of start is like there is this reputation that this is a show that historians think is is very well done um and i i, I was gonna say accurate but i i don't know i'm interested for, for from you um about why that is and the mm -hmm. notion that like no show can be perfect, like no show can encapsulate all the history that there is. They have to make choices either because of theme or because of, you know, the, the time, like you're not going to show every moment of Caesar's life. So you have to pick and choose what you're going to put in. And so right. why do historians think that this show, despite some of the stuff that it maybe chooses, like they seemingly are like the right choice of like what they choose to leave out. So why does the show, I think, resonate with like Roman historians, I guess is my, is my that was a long way to get to that. No, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, first thing first, it might just be access. You know, everyone's different. I love TV shows compared to movies because I think TV shows give uh, a story a time to breathe. You don't have to wrap it up in two hours or in an hour and a half. And so the fact that Rome, you know, ideally should have been five seasons, but had time to breathe and kind of walk through uh, what led to the fall of the Republic, I think is what people love, just like they loved the one season they got out of I, Claudius. Um, the showrunners brought many historians on board to make sure that the show felt authentic. And what I thought was very interesting in a lot of interviews is they wanted to go for historical authenticity before they went for historical accuracy. It's not mm -hmm. a documentary. It is a TV show. Um, and so they're willing to kind of play around with a few storylines that maybe didn't exist or that just gets them from point A to point B faster for the most part, they weren't really making up storylines. If anything, it was just like the live feeds idea that they just couldn't show you everything. Um, but the authenticity was there and the budget was there. This was not the kind of uh, show where you felt like you're watching the same five backdrops over and over again. Oh, yeah. They built out a set that felt... Oh, I thought those uh, were green screens. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, they had a bit of the same uh, issue that maybe season one of game of thrones had which is where they needed to save money was in the battle scenes um mm -hmm. so you kind of just like allude to there being a battle and then you get a time wipe and then you have caesar announcing hey we've won um and game of thrones kind of does that i think in season one they and then sure maybe do. later on yeah. seasons it starts to actually show the battles so they had to save I, money somewhere we talked about this a lot it was a thing that i feel like i kind of thought i i think i have this idea of like 
a lot of like rub and uh, I'll announce this as we're talking, but next week, Rich and I are going to watch gladiator as part of our extended coverage of Rome. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we're going to finally actually be talking about a piece where the Coliseum exists, Alex, uh, no fear. Um, But um, that's a little bit. So it's like, you know, when you, you know, this Roman thing, I feel like it's like, it's like fighting and anarchy, like part, it's part of the thing. And so I think it was more just a surprise that like when the show happens and then it's like, cut to like the next step like it's like caesar is marching towards pompey and the next episode is like that was a pretty tough battle huh and like i i say that like so facetiously i actually think it's like a really smart choice like i actually think a narrative decision yeah to like circumvent the big giant set piece you know and folk and and to be able to maintain a focus on the characters and and the people um like you can get across that like the battle was bloody or intense or caesar like i think there's a uh, part where he's gonna go he's chasing after him in greece and then it like we get a whole exposition about like how pompey has actually like amassed more legions and, and now caesar sort of like in the retreat like i don't think we need uh necessarily and i actually think it's a thing that a lot of other shows could actually take from it like and i actually think we were talking earlier i think before because we were talking a little bit in, in our pre-pro meeting about the the bbc choice to like condense those first three episodes or did they remove them or they condensed them rich what was or alex do you know do you remember i believe they condensed them alex like i mean i've yeah, never seen a that re-edited. iteration but yeah they re-edited the whole first three to like just slap together the relevant points with less of the history so my my thought there is like you know this idea of like i don't know i almost feel like this is, was a show that like yeah it's about rome but like you know to a degree it's like this is like a it's a character show which is like i think yeah. so much more about hbo i feel like game of thrones is actually a bit of like when you look at the history of of shows like it's a little bit of an outline in terms of it being like this epic uh like high you know well, it is I mean, that's scene. part yeah. of why it exploded the way it did because it brought like alex is talking about you know this is a real paradigm shift in the mid 2000s of what small screen did what we found on tv compared to what we got in a movie theater right. and you don't right. see a gladiator on television until you get the kind of epic boss over the top game of thrones of it all right um that's part of why that show just stands so tall above its peers you know yeah i think one thing that's um really interesting to talk about how the show is more about uh, authenticity than accuracy when you watch uh gladiator coming up i think there's you know an opening battle scene just like rome has an opening oh, battle yeah. scene and yeah. in gladiator the opening battle scene i believe is a lot of one-on-one uh combat fighting which is interesting to watch it introduces you to your main character where Roma's authentic was in its first opening battle scene, the Legion is all fighting as one. They're not doing a bunch of one-on-one mm-hmm. combat. Now Pulo will get out of line, and I think that introduces you to kind of Pulo as a character, and it's a good uh, introductory beat for him, but it still maintains the authenticity. That's not how the Romans fought. They were all um, in a strict Legion. They fought in a certain way, and that, you know, not that that makes a big difference to the average audience member, but for those who love Rome for what it is, I think that you know, getting away from the trope of like, here's a bunch of one-on-one combat and let's focus on a person. Like they tried to get something a little bit more authentic to how the Romans fought. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as a guy who talks about a lot of fantasy TV over here at PSR and spends my days kind of grinding through D&D games, like, uh, you know, the drama is in the, like, you know, 1v1 me, bro. But the Roman Legion, this is part of the magic that they had. It's like amidst their their concrete, their infrastructure, uh, the way that they were able to kind of, like, culturally infuse these places that they invaded, right? But it's the rigidity in their battle formations, you know? I love this notion of, of the authenticity just in the kind of, like, set dressing and 
the context of the world and the backdrop of the environment they're in. Because I think that to your point, Grace, while this is a show called Rome, ostensibly about the rise of the Roman Empire, what it's really about is the people who like lived and died and made the choices that made that created this paradigm shift during this day and age, right? Yeah. Um, so like uh, talk to like oh go for it. Please. No, well, I was just saying, first of all, the hardest part about showing combat is that we all know from DD that real combat takes place, of course, everybody's singularly taking their turns over the course of six seconds. So it's hard to translate that to a TV show. Oh my god, somebody put me on a DD <laughs> podcast so I could talk about this for an hour and a half because I get strong feelings. Okay, uh, but yes, it's, yes, that is exactly how so, how actual real combat historical works. combat yeah, occurred. that's right. Everybody uh, waited and acted at six seconds. You, you know, you might you might joke, but the basically the way the Roman Legion fought is the frontline fought for a preset amount of time, and then when the, they were gonna get tired, oh. they would go to the back and wait for their they turn as like the next line team. moves forward. Oh, yeah, they rolled like a hockey team, Grace. They, they, yeah, it, it was live turn-based combat almost. Mm -hmm. So, Alex, the thing I think um, we're talking about. So, Rome, I think, uses a really interesting mechanic in mm -hmm. the way that it. Uh, and this got pointed out to us. I think in the first episode, we're like. Pulo and Brennus made up. And then I think you were like, nope, they're in they're in Julius Caesar's like notes and records. We just don't know much about them. But I kind of love, and obviously they're like, they're not quite like the common man in terms of like they're hanging out with Julius Caesar and Mark Antony and like every important historical figure of of the time. But they are, I think, our best approximation. Like every once in a while, they kind of go back and they hang out in, in like, and they're like civilians to a do to a degree. I know it's like not perfect, but I do feel like it is this really, I think, a smart choice because I think sometimes what shows about powerful people can sometimes miss is like the implication for what that means for like everybody below them. It's, it can be a hard thing, I think, to translate. I was talking about this with Succession. It feels like early on in Succession, in the pilot, I'm only going to spoil the pilot, it does see, I've talked about this on the pod, Rich, it feels like they're going to find ways to show how these rich a-holes affect the small common man and they, yeah. and they kind of they kind of like move away from that and i think like that's a choice that that tv show makes and i think is like smart for them but i think this is a smart choice to have like pulo and Brennus basically and like the people that are around them be sort of stand-ins for how everything that's happening up top alex like affects you know it trickles it trickles down um I, i'm interested to hear your thoughts on like the way that that show sort of depicts like yeah obviously we have julius caesar and mark antony and octavius and that crew of people and then they find a way to sort of implement like a more common man type story yeah you know history um sometimes can be accused of being the story of great men or great people um and it's just like all right this person ruled and this person ruled and this person ruled and we do get this sense to, to drop down now rich i know that you um are a defender of season two. I personally do not personally care for season two, but one thing season two I think does well is that it does show, especially at the end, um, how the actions of those in power are affecting the common people when the, there's the food shortages mm -hmm. um, and the people of Rome go starving. Um, I love season one and I love the interactions of the personal lives of um, Titus, Pulo, and uh, Varinus, but I don't know if we actually see how the common people are affected by it, other than maybe just when the streets of Rome go empty, when you know Caesar marches in and the, the Senate leaves. But I do think we get some glimpses of that in season two, and one thing that season two does well is um, how all this fighting up top can affect the, the people below. They go starving, there's no food, um, there's more violence because pe uh, people... Uh, are, are hungry and resources are desperate. Um, 
but at the end of the day, this show I think knows that some of the um, some of the more interesting things are up at the top at the conflict. You have these big wars, um, and so it does still focus on you know the movers and shakers of history while giving us that that taste um, of what it's like for the common people. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I'm kind of, um, I don't know, I, I guess I liked season two well enough. I think season one's way stronger. I think it's paced so excellently. And to this whole notion of where we kind of spend our time and, and put the emphasis, I think it's a good idea not to put too much emphasis on the plight of the common people, because there is this ambiguity that we're talking about in the leadership in Caesar. It would be really easy to vilify the people in power if we invest too much of our energy in seeing the way that their choices are like trickling down to, to destroy the daily lives of these other people. But in this character-based show that we talked about, I know that there was like compression of a lot of actual historical figures to yeah. kind of fulfill the needs of the narrative, right? And there's a character that I know like stands head and shoulders above everybody else's, one of your favorites, Alex, in Atia. And she's like a little bit of a like convergence of a number of historical women at the time, right? I'd love to have you as somebody with more context than I do just talk about that, about how they made that decision, maybe why they made the decision to kind of turn her into that one person and who she's sort of embodying for us historically. So I have some speculation here that's a, a personal speculation. Um, for those who have seen I, Claudius, um, I think that the person that really steals the show for the front half is Livia, the wife of Augustus. And Livia mm -hmm. is this mover and shaker who has a son that she wants to um, have become emperor, but he's not in the front of the line of succession. And um, without getting into spoilers for those who want to watch um, I Claudius, Livia has to do a lot of machinations to basically make sure that her son uh, will become the the emperor that follows Augustus, even though he would not be first in line. And so I think um, as the BBC was um, now is doing Rome, I think they wanted to have a Livia figure, and that person becomes Atia. Um, and Polly Walker is just such a phenomenal actress that she makes the role. I have no idea if they intended a smaller role for her, maybe like a brawn in a Game of Thrones. And when they just realized like, wow, we've just cast the perfect person for the perfect role that they really decided to, to up her usage. Um, but yeah, no, in reality, um, for what we know of Atia, she was a very overprotective mother. She didn't want um, Octavian to be really involved in public life. He was very sickly as a child. Um, she also dies, I think, during the events of the Second Civil War. She's not present for yeah. his coronation no, or his she's not. You know, I noticed triumph. this. And I thought it was so interesting that she's basically, other than the Pulo and uh, and Caesarian scene, where they walk away and he's like, let me tell you about my father, that I thought, like, she's the last she's the last look of the sh of of the sh of the show like it's it lingers on her as uh octavian is being um like his parade right that he's had victory coming back yeah, from Egypt. Arrival, and then it, yep. and then it lingers on her it fades to black and then we get one more scene with pulo and uh and cesarean which i thought is just like super interesting yeah. yeah, and you know, obviously, she's not going to win um, world's best mother award, um, mm -hmm. but I really do think that for someone who's maybe not uh, the main story focal point of the show, she just stole the scene from me for me um, with the quality of her acting, um, and uh, I just find that her character, you know, very dynamic. And every time I come back to the show, especially season one when she's a little bit more on top uh, of the power structure. Um, I, I just feel like she grabs the scene each and every time. Um, yeah. Gr 
Well, I what? just was, I, well, you know, the like the thought here is like, why did they like basically amalgamate her into one character? And I, you know, I'm a history major. I'm not a Roman <clears throat> history major. I do think like I love historical TV because I think it is this like fun, you know, it, it is a way in which we can be sort of um, engrossed. I, I do believe in like, you know, um, if, if we don't learn from our history, we're like doomed to repeat it. Right. Like, all, like all of um, that stuff. Like, I think literally, if you look at like what's happened, like there's a lot of ways in which like our the way that julius caesar manipulates the actual structural um uh pieces of government to his own will are not dissimilar to what you look over the history of like no. the ways in which like that happens so i but i'm, I'm wondering for my in my opinion like the, the reason to like amalgamate someone like atia into one character is because it creates a stronger story and i don't think that and, and there was um actually uh, this is an interesting to go sort of like tangentially is the woman king came out i believe last year around this time and it got a lot of feedback for not being um exactly historically accurate and and she just said well people won't watch that if we made a documentary um just like straight like some people would but it will never you know movies are and tv shows are such the central i mean we're on poster recap so maybe we're a little bit biased that we think like we live TV in an movies, entertainment culture yeah, yeah the 21st yeah. century is it's a time of entertainment we don't need to worry about like food shortages in the way of like rome circa zero you know <laughs> yeah and yeah. so we can we can get people engaged in like the in the in the history and what it, and what it, it it tells us uh about that time period and what it can tell us about about our culture now and deliver some sort of theme message whatever um and i often think like you know i'm not always like looking to wikipedia but i feel like you know uh i, I always joke about when i watch the crown that i'm like watching it and then it, it takes me like two and a half hours to watch an hour-long episode because i'm like pausing being like well is that real and i'm like, <laughs> like googling on my phone right like so i'm not expecting people to like watch us and be like well now i know everything about rome but if it like encourages right. you to like dig deeper so i think like the choices to to condense, you know, a bunch of people into one character for the sake of like the theme of the show. In this case, like for Atia, like, um, you know, who she is as a woman. Like uh, we were talking before about like Octavian's name, and you were explaining that he basically like once he changes his name, once he becomes like Julius Caesar's adopted son, he changes his name, and at the end of it, he puts Octavius. He was Octavius. Now at the end of his name, if you want to explain this? You, you'll explain yeah. So he 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 is Octavius um, up until the point that he becomes named uh, heir. When I think there's the reading of the will, which um, mm -hmm. some of the historians in the Discord pointed out, he's not actually in the city at the time of the reading of the heir. Um, so when he changes his name to adopt Caesar as his father, he his name changes to Gaius Julius Caesar Octavian. Um, and with a lot of Roman naming, there's a lot of uh, names that get passed down. There's a lot of Caesars, there's a lot of uh, Gaiuses. So you might add on a little tag to kind of um, distinguish yourself. So Octavian is the stinger at the end of his new title, Gaius Julius Caesar Octavian. And the reason I think to do that is because it's way more confusing to be like, wait, is it Octavian or is Octavius? Rather than like just be like, his name is Octavius is octavian the whole time in the show like it doesn't really matter and if you're like hung up on that i don't think and i don't think anybody like is i'm not it's not like directed at anybody it's just interesting then you're like googling him and it's like oh his name like is it octavius or octavian and so i think like 
they make they have to make choices to make like in a show that like mm -hmm. feels like a tv show you know so yeah, yeah i mean listen you know all of these things we talk about them as content now we didn't at the time that rome came out but like they're products that are trying to like drive commerce right uh this is drama and drama does not always like cleave close to history you know i think that there's many ways that i talk about a lot of book adaptations uh whether they're fiction or not i think it's it's inherent that you're gonna like shift for the medium and i think that they gave us a pretty strong two seasons of a show part of what i was just so um taken by on this viewing is this notion that they got their legs cut out from under them and they weren't able to get the full run of five seasons that they had hoped for and had to begin to like truncate the narrative which is maybe why i'm a little bit more forgiving about season two alex but i guess i'm i'm really curious for you to um i don't know just just to like double down i guess a little bit on what you're talking about grace this whole notion of like we're doomed to repeat our past i think shows like this are of critical importance i think we do live in an entertainment culture and when you go out and see these like segments of whatever late night talk show it is where we're going to talk to people on the street people are woefully ill-informed about our actual history as a species and it's anything that can incite excitement and some motivation to go back and learn about this stuff is of critical importance we open the podcast talking about the kind of like checks and balances that the roman republic had in place to ensure that single individuals could not accumulate too much power alex while we're sitting here like wailing about term limits in the bleeding edge of the 21st century in the United States of America, right? So it's not like lost on me that there is much to learn from our distant past. And I think that Rome is at least successful in that way. When you talk about they didn't like necessarily get things wrong, but they left stuff out. What are some of like the glaring omissions for you as you go back and look at the show? What are the things to you that you like scratch your head a little bit because you wonder like this would have served the narrative or this would have been good storytelling? Why didn't they approach it? Well, I think the thing that would have helped, helped the most is just a different show, which is basically a season zero of Rome. Um, mm. Caesar and Pompey were not the first of their kind to to fight, to have a civil war. A generation before, it's Marius and Sulla. You know, mm -hmm. Caesar's not the first dictator of Rome. Sulla is. Um, Marius is, I think, the uncle of Caesar. And in the previous uh, civil war, Caesar's uncle loses to Sulla and gets uh, murdered. And Rome is, for a time... Um, ruled by a tyrant and so i think the fact that rome is kind of lurching towards the republic is not working at some point someone's going to take full power starts before caesar and i think that might be um something to show that like you know while he was ambitious and while he was lucky and while he was skilled um he was not um this unique peacock that uh no one else could have done it people had tried before him I think you can um, feel that a little bit sometimes. Like Brutus, I feel like is often the one being like, you know, there's like, uh, this is what a tyrant's death looks. You know, if you are a ty like, you know, uh, this is how you die. Like, I feel like there is some allusions to it, but I would agree that um, it is interesting to know that's like Caesar does not pop out of nowhere to like try to take over Rome. Uh, there are other people who did it before him. Very and in terms of in terms of in show, um, I I know that you can't show battle after battle after battle after battle. Um, the civil war between Caesar and Pompey is much longer when they show. It's not just Caesar goes to Greece and they fight one battle. Um, it was a, a, a trans-Mediterranean war. They fought in Spain. They fought in Africa. They fought in Greece. Um, there's actually a semi-famous battle that Caesar loses before his eventual victory against Pompey, where Caesar's the actual one in the field and command at Dorachium. And I, I do wonder if showing Caesar not just being this guy that wins every single battle, but mm -hmm. like, you know, he can lose and the odds are against him and that he is this gambler that, 
you know, like Rich likes to talk about doubling down, he keeps rolling the dice. He keeps trying to turn the odds. And, and maybe the reason why the name Caesar sticks in our minds so much more than others is that he's able to overcome these odds. He's able to take these big gambles that, you know, maybe only work one out of 10 times. So I do wonder if showing him failing along the way to his eventual success might have, you know, gone a little ways to show like what a gambler he was and how unlikely his victory in Greece ended up being. And how tenacious, I guess, right? That he'll just like, yeah. I'll just keep going, you know? Yep. Uh, until, yeah. it, it takes killing him to stop him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else? Anything else you think could have been? Or the other p- thing that's, I think, is interesting, and I know, Rich, you were interested in this, of like, what does the show look like if it if they do not find out in season two that they are going to be finished and they seemingly sort of truncate some of the story into season two um, and say they get, you know, everything they want. They keep getting renewed for as long as they want to keep the show. What does the show look like moving forward? It's speculation, but I think that um, we maybe get a little bit less of a time jump with Octavian going from boy Octavian to adult Octavian. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that maybe we get a little bit more in terms of the relationship between Octavian and Antony, how how they go from rivals to partners to rivals to (laughs) to partners to rivals again. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe and maybe just more time in Egypt. I think for a lot of people, um, Egypt is this fascinating place. It's a different culture. You know, Varinus is very respectful that they've been here longer than we have. And and Mm -hmm. that there's a respect for basically just um, existing before we did. If we're the greatest empire there is and they've existed longer than us, then they must be great, too. I think there's just a lot of room to explore outside the confines of Rome, outside of the confines of Italy um, that the show maybe could have gone into in terms of religion. Um, I, you know, I don't really know how that would have gone with uh, the rise of uh, Christ in the East um, and how polytheism and monotheism would have clashed in season five. Um, and maybe that would have worked for some people. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't have. Can I ask, Alex? You're here to tell us what we got wrong. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I watch a lot of shows. And I'm a guy with strong opinions, like about the combat round in Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, (laughs) Tune in to the Burroughs End podcast to hear you talk extensively about that. But so, as you listen to us, where you could, as you could, Alex, this is the podcast to talk about what we got wrong. What did Mm -hmm. Grace and I say that absolutely had you apoplectic? Because we were, like, speaking so out of turn or, like, so grievously mispronounced announcing these names or misunderstanding things that are like really intuitive to you or you're kind of like deeply immersed in like were there any major faux pas on the podcast of things that we said that were like just absolutely uh egregious and, and just know whatever you say i'm gonna edit it so it says nope you're perfect <laughs> uh yeah here, here's your soundbite nope you're perfect oh thanks uh, uh other than the uh atia slander which is definitely uh incorrect um you know, I, I think that uh, before I went to Italy, I was able to give some feedback. So a lot of the things like, you know, the Colosseum that wasn't built yeah. or Caesar yeah. wasn't truly a dictator, that, that's already been addressed. Um, in terms of pronunciation, uh, you know, Latin is a dead language. Um, Grace, I loved your uh, openers for a lot of the episodes, especially later on when you started taking on the role of the newsreader. Yes. Yeah. Um, in Latin, they don't really pronounce Vs as Vs. It sounds mm. more like a W. So um, the greeting is Salve. Oh. Uh, even, though oh. even though it's spelled like salve uh it is salve um and um a lot of times yeah there wasn't really a v sound so you, you use like the w sound so what is he warinus what is he is that what he would Warinus. be yeah he's like you know for, for for different names it's it's a little tricky uh but in terms of just like the pure latin 
Um, yeah. Also, I think sometimes letters might sound different if it's at the start of a word versus at the end, like, you know, Veni, Vidi, Vici. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it is uh, Salway. I love your impersonation mm. otherwise of the uh, of the the reader. He's uh, the I best. He's so good. He's Ian McNeese is amazing in that role. Yeah. I, I, and I think there's like a 10 minute YouTube clip that's basically just all the scenes <laughs> back to back to back to back, to back <laughs> if you want to watch now that your journey is uh, complete. Um yeah, I, you know, I don't think you were really saying anything that was just fully wrong. It's just maybe some things that were, some context was needed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and and the context was needed because the show wasn't giving you the context. It's not that you yourselves sure. didn't have it. You know, things like Caesar and Pompey were never truly consoles together. They were each consoles, um, but they're not co-consoles mm. as the show presents. Um, there's a very important third member of the Tremor that's just not shown, yeah. uh, which is Crassus. Um, he was the richest man in Rome. Uh, people would say the phrase that, you know, I think rich is Crassus. Um, uh, and, and he ends up dying in the Caesar East. Kind of like under his wing. Uh, isn't that a thing that like Caesar ends up like kind of gaining some momentum because like he's Crassus's guy to a degree. And Crassus dies right before this conflict between Pompey and Caesar, right? So e each member of the uh, triumvirate kind of serves each other. Crassus was the richest man in Rome. And Caesar had uh, ambition. He was a skilled general. He had the love of the people. Um, but he had not a lot of money. I think his family was kind of broke. Uh, again, this is getting to details beyond myself, but I think in part due to the civil war that came before where his uncle Marius was mm -hmm. you know, killed, there was a round of purges and money taken. Um, Caesar needed the financial backing of Crassus. Mm -hmm. And Crassus needed the access to the lovers of political power that um, Caesar and Pompey would have as generals mm. or as consuls. And so they all kind of serve each other. And when Crassus dies in the east while uh, Caesar's serving up north in Gaul, um, you know, I think that starts to lead to like this imbalance of now, like, well, does Pompey really need Caesar? Caesar doesn't have his benefactor. So now Caesar needs to make his own money. And that's why he's, you know, conquering more and more and more land. And that's why at the start of HBO Rome, they talk about this is an illegal war because he wasn't necessarily tasked to do things. Um, again, things they didn't show. Caesar doesn't just conquer Gaul. He goes into Britain. Um, and the reason yep. why the Roman Empire extends into Britain, he was the first person, not the, the last, but the first uh to really start the war, I think, uh, for Britain, which I think some of his successors will continue. And then eventually we, you know, get Hadrian's Wall in England and, yep. and whatnot. So, yeah, I think it's just, um, I think it's just context of things that the show didn't show you more so than you guys just saying the sky is red when the sky is actually blue. Um, that's fair. I think, yeah. And, and I think like if honestly, it was very fun to do this every day, I think there's like an energy to recording every day that, that gets very fun. Um, very I think, yeah. but I think that there are times where it's just like, we're literally probably watching like an episode of Rome and then recording immediately afterwards. And so sure. uh, probably in the future, if we were like, you know, doing our, like, and again, that's what, that's how I would suggest people like watch historical TV is like, don't take it. Matter of fact, look at what you're missing for what context. Um, what's your favorite part of Rome? Alex? like the TV show. What's, what was, what's the best, what's the best part? Or like, do you have a, like a favorite moment from the show? I think what the best part of the show that really sucks me in is that every time I watch, especially season one, there's a small part of me that thinks like maybe Caesar will do it. Maybe he'll become the first dictator. Maybe he won't die. <laughs> he's I think so competent. He's, he's showed to be so competent. I, feel, I, mean, I was joking. It's like Poppy gets the bad edit and Caesar gets a great edit. This is the live yeah. feeds. Yeah. You know, a, another yeah. daily rewatch show on the network um, suits people. They talk over there that it's competency porn. Like people are so good at their mm -hmm. job that it's actually enjoyable to watch. 
Um, and I, it just feels like all the things are in place. Um, he's won all the battles. Uh, Varinus is going to be happy with Niobe. I love the Varinus Niobe kind of reconciliation in the mid portions mm-hmm. of, of yeah. season one. And it, it breaks your heart every time that just, you know, everything shatters for Varinus and everything shatters for Caesar and everything uh, goes to hell in a handbasket. But really that, that push to the end of season one gets me every time where I truly believe a little part of me that like things are going to work out and then it it. comes crashing. And I think that's a a real testament both to the actors and actresses and also the storytellers that while you know what the history is, they do a good job of like building up to this crescendo where there's a part of you that wants to believe that it's going to work out, even though you know it won't. Yeah. It's so interesting that I think like I was expecting sort of like Kieran Hines as Julius Caesar to be around for like, both seasons of the show and it's a really bold choice to, to be like nope uh got like again i think the, the most famous person from rome probably like is that right is it i feel like in my maybe opinion, brutus brutus does like uh he does get mentioned in the the famous guy's line <laughs> but yeah he, guy probably he probably is he probably is that it's yeah. such an interesting choice to like have him only be in one season you know but yeah um well anything else anything else actually what would you miss uh last chance uh, no, I don't think you uh, missed anything. I just hope that uh, a longer journey um, out of the Colosseum and back into it mm-hmm. for Gladiator, that you you stay on this path. There's so many good uh, Roman-based uh, media, whether it's like Claudius, whether it's um, Spartacus, uh, whether it's um, uh, a variety of movies. And really, if it's just like studying how something like Star Wars is just Roman space, oh, yeah. um, there's so many options to revisit this uh, this world and this story over and over again. And I hope that uh, your journey takes you there. We had a I great mean, answer really... from from sorry from uh, from Krista who gave us a list of things. I'll just list them because we're not going to watch all of them. Sure. Uh, we're going to watch a Gladiator, but also a funny thing happened on the way to the Forum, uh, History of the World Part One, uh, yeah. Life, of, Life of Brian. Uh, were all suggested as things that we could also watch. And those are much more like, I think most of those are like pretty funny things, but you gotta love Mel Brooks, Monty Python. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Grace, we've talked about a lot of TV here on PSR, Mm -hmm. but we talked about foundation this year, which I think that there's so much that you can draw from. I think that any kind of like study of the Roman empire, a huge part of what leapt out at me and why the meme started in the first place, I think is that there is so much of this stuff that translates to the modern day that it's kind of staggering. We're, we're two, thousand years out and away from the kind of apex or the the rising uh, momentum of this culture many of the edifices and the constructs of this time have been destroyed a lot of the history has been lost to us right we're we're like speculating on pieces but so much of it has yet preserved that it not only like impregnates all of our fiction everywhere that we turn when you're talking about things for like star wars like foundation like dune like again and again and again you could see this kind of stuff uh, straight into a show like succession right Right? which is not any kind of like period fantasy genre piece whatsoever that I think you can really map back to the Roman Empire in big ways. There's so much to like take out of this that is infused in our day-to-day lives that I think that there's like, I don't know, a little bit of like a legitimacy to the meme of it all, right? And like why we do think about the Roman Empire every day. I live in the United States of America in upstate New York, but like I got Latin on my money, right? Um, and that's in no small part part due to like the actions of these people once upon a time so it's been like a really fascinating journey and i've been excited to get to hear from you alex so i'm glad you were able to join us today and like uh, help correct our perspective a little bit 
Uh, thank you so much for having me. And if I can just leave maybe both of you or the audience with uh, one recommendation that I had mentioned in the Discord. Um, there's two book series that I want to shout out because it covers this exact period of time, this kind of end of the Republic. But one from the perspective of Caesar is the good guy and one from the perspective that Cicero and the Senate is the good guy. Yes. So reading them back to back presents this kind of like, you know, who really are the good people and who are not. Um, so Robert Harris has a three book series on the life and times of Cicero. Um uh, I think it's called uh, Imperators, the first one, Conspirats is the second one, and maybe Dictators, the third. Um, loved this book series and loved the voice actor on the audiobook for our audiobook listeners. A slightly longer series by Khan Igolden um, is the Emperor series, and this is now told from the perspective of Caesar um, and, and Octavian, and I think it's a five-book series. But um, the two really complement each other in the sense of looking at the same period of time, but from different perspectives of who's the good guys, who are the bad guys. Are these fiction or non? These are nonfiction. These are historical fiction. So it. Uh, it takes historical events and then fictionalizes them. I believe cool. Robert Harris's um, Cicero is a little bit more skewing towards history. Uh, uh, and Connie Golden skews a little bit more towards fiction. Um, but both are very, very well done. Um, and uh, specifically for the Cicero one, the second book talks is there's a great conspiracy that um, is a fascinating story about how uh, people wanted the common some commoners wanted to bring down the uh, the republic because it was not working for them, and mm -hmm. how Cicero kind of has to like uh, un untie this giant conspiracy. So it's it's a hmm. it's a really great listen or a really great read. Cool. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, Alex. Where can people find if they have more questions about Rome? Uh, yeah, I'm in the Discord in the Rome channel. Otherwise, on Twitter at Condor24, Condor with a K. Um, and yeah, any any questions that uh, I can answer, I would love to. Otherwise, uh, check out The History of Rome uh, by Mike Duncan. It's a long listen, but for those of you with the long commute, um, it'll really fill that time out well. Cool. Um, Rich, uh, we'll be back next week. We're going to chat about the movie Gladiator, which I'm pretty excited. I haven't watched it in, a, in a, quite a long time, so excited. Are you not uh, entertained, Grace? You will be I, entertained. Yep. And I believe there is a, a sequel to this movie coming soon, I believe, right? Gladiator what? 2. Yeah, did you not know that? Yeah. Are you trolling me right no. now? <laughs> no, Paul, Paul Mescal and Barry Kogan and Pedro Pascal, I think are all going to... I think it's like uh, Ridley Scott, 2020, November 2024. Stop making sequels to things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for I, real. I will yeah. go see it for denzel sure, washington though. i think uh yeah denzel washington's gonna be in it yeah yeah wow incredible mm -hmm. okay. we'll talk about this a one in about a year the fall of rome will actually it will make sense in 2024 right yeah wow yeah, I uh, guess I guess I'll be ready to talk about it. I'm excited to go back to Gladiator. Uh, I mean, it was just such like an epic film when it released, you know, and I think like, uh, you know, many Roman historians have much to say about Gladiator that is not as flattering as what they say about HBO Rome. Right. There are a lot of liberties taken in terms of like the fiction and the narrative and the kind of like yeah, crashing to together this. of epochs that we're, we're going to do this again where it's like we're going to do that next week. And then in two weeks, Alex will come on for what we got wrong about Gladiator. <laughs> what we got wrong about Gladiator. Gladiator, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Rich. In the meantime, where can people find you? What are you up to? I'm at DM Philly at all the places. You can find me on Twitter. My DMs are open. I'm streaming D&D &D over on Twitch. VOD's on YouTube. I'm talking about D&D &D with Melissa Woodward right here. I'm going to be talking about Beacon 23, new show over on MGM Plus with the great Corey B. Uh, I'm talking about a bunch of stuff. I don't even remember. Yellowstone with you, Grace. Tales from the Loop. We're closing out that season. So go follow me in all the places. 
Yeah, uh, I think in addition to that, I'm covering uh, the morning show with Ariel and movies each week with Ariel and full spoiler recaps with Jess Sterling. Rich, you'll be joining uh, myself and Ariel uh, this week for, or next week, I guess, for, no, this week for uh, an episode of full spoiler recaps. We're going to watch All the Light We Cannot See uh, with our boy, uh, Lewis Hoffman on Netflix. All right, we will be back next week to chat about Gladiator as we talk about Rome once a week. <laughs>